Seattle Public Schools is the largest K-12 school system in Washington State. There are more than 100 schools serving about 50,000 students, and those are 50,000 kids that are stepping into a school year unlike any other. A pandemic still going, mask requirements, dealing with loss of loved ones and lost time with friends. And while kids are resilient, we may not always see what's below the surface. Mental health issues are on the rise among kids and adolescents. We have to be able to acknowledge that mental health and wellness has been impacted over the last 18 months. That's Erin Romanic, whose job with the school district is to make sure students feel supported through difficult times. Whether it's academically, behaviorally, or emotionally, it's no small task. So I sit down with Erin to talk about how the district approaches mental health, changes they've made for the school year, and the long-term plan. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and you can also watch this podcast on YouTube if you prefer. The link is in our show notes. Erin, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. You are Student Support Services Supervisor for the Seattle Public Schools, and that's obviously a big job title. And right now, a lot of students are needing support as we start a new school year, and we're still in a pandemic. So give us a little insight into the work that you do. Uh, So first and foremost, I'm part of a fantastic team that provides all support in this area. We are primarily responsible for uh, the behavioral health, mental health support, attendance and discipline support, uh, crisis response, isolation restraint, um, anything that kind of touches in the behavioral or mental health world, usually uh, we're invited into conversations about that to really support our schools and our school leaders and our staff. What kind of support services do you offer students in your public schools? And obviously that must vary by um, age and by school, but give us an overview. Yeah, so our schools, um, we we are varied across the school district, Um, but what we did this summer was kind of identify at least schools that had counseling support, um, school social work support, and school-based health centers. So we have a number of schools that actually have all three different types of support, including, of course, our critical like nursing services, our school psychological services, special education services. Um, But what we noticed is we had a number of schools that weren't, didn't have coverage in the areas of just that kind of truly social-emotional behavioral support of a counselor, social worker, school-based health center. And so what we did there was try to identify and provide different support to those schools. But our main focus was making sure that every student in Seattle Public Schools had a touch point to someone who could connect them or provide mental health services. And again, it varies from school to school, but that was a critical component knowing we are coming back still in a pandemic that mental health was on the forefront of everyone's minds, including staff and families, school leaders, and young people. I think a lot of our focus as we go back to school, um, and we've been doing a series on King 5 News about going back to school, going back into the office, and one of the biggest pieces of that is our mental health. And throughout the pandemic, we've done extensive reporting on how a lot of adolescents and children have been dealing with mental health issues, and that was exacerbated by the pandemic, by the isolation of that. And now so many families are excited that their students are going back into the building and they're having that social support. But it must feel to you like your work is more important than ever, right, in this new school year? It does feel like it. I, I can't open uh, an email or even newspaper or magazine or hear anything on the news without mental health coming up. And for me... It's, it's going to sound odd, but it is exciting that 
this is what we get to really focus and center on is the mental health and wellness of everyone in our system. Um, it's really hard to get to some of the technical pieces of education and instruction without really identifying what's happening for everyone kind of within our system. And we have to be able to acknowledge that mental health and wellness has been impacted over the last 18 months. Seattle Public Schools, the largest school district in the state of Washington. I was looking at some of the stats, more than 100 schools, more than 50,000 kids. That is a lot of kids to watch out for and to find out if they are doing okay with their mental health. How does the school district tackle that? What's your approach? Uh, You were explaining to me before we started recording a little bit about um, it's multifaceted, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. uh, It's really this tiered, tiered approach. Um, where we're looking at kind of our universal, our tier one, or what are we doing just universally for everyone in our buildings. And those are things that we know are supportive of mental health and wellness. It's making sure we have routines and procedures that, you know, there's consistency and predictability in our days. That we're teaching to our expectations so our young people know what the expectation is, let's say, to wear a mask or to social distance. It's also making sure that our young people are connected to adults in schools. Again, those are protective factors that can help um, in times of crisis or in times where that we're living in currently right now. In addition, it's just being able to acknowledge at that tier one level, at that universal, that mental health and wellness matter, that it's here, that it's okay. And if you are you know, struggling or thinking about your own mental health, to be able to bring that forward to somebody. It's, it's really destigmatizing mental health. It's getting information to caregivers and to families and to our staff members of different signs and symptoms and just really elevating mental health in our everyday conversations. And from there, again, if we're equipping kind of our adults in the system to just notice changes in students' behavior. Um, We haven't been in spaces with students since March of 2020. We were in remote and somewhat in hybrid, but if you have a relationship with a young person and they come to you most often you're going to be able to tell if something doesn't seem quite right. And it's to be curious about that. It's to say, hey, like, what's happening? Are you okay? And again, if we've normalized our mental health and destigmatized asking for help, those conversations become easier. And then young people can come forward to say, I am struggling. And I maybe I do need some additional help. And then from there, it's really tapping into different resources within our buildings finding out who's there to maybe provide some additional skill building or identifying if there's a brief like intervention or strategy that we can provide in school. And then from there, say, okay, if we need to refer out to community agencies, if we need to connect in um, with different like hospital systems or psychiatric care is being able to really provide then the connection to culturally responsive uh, community services, and then really making sure we're providing that wraparound approach even after that we're continuing to provide this holistic care for this young person. It's so nuanced, and I think that there's so many people that you just mentioned that can be involved in in the um, mental well, uh, mental health and well-being of a student. But at the most basic level, it's probably, like you said, the teacher in that classroom identifying, now that we're back in the classroom, oh, that you know maybe something's not quite right with Sarah, or something's a little bit off here with John, right? So... Um, Can you talk through that with me um, for parents that might be listening? Because that's the reality, right? That like a lot of times it's the the teachers that are there interacting every single day. And I'm wondering from your perspective, if as through the years have gone on, teachers and staff members are more willing to fill that 
that role and, and really have those kinds of um, tough conversations with their students? Because that's not always easy. That's not what we're always asking of our teachers. Yeah, it's not easy. And again, as a society, um, there is a lot of stigma around mental health. And so to ask those questions, we feel that maybe we're putting thoughts in people's minds or we're afraid of what might what they might say, right? And, and it's okay having those difficult conversations are just something that, that we've all kind of gotten a little bit used to, I think, over uh, during this pandemic. But it's even something as simple as your teachers are caring adults for our young people. And just to be curious and, again, to call a, you know, a parent and say, hey, like, I'm just noticing this. And, again, it's not, it's not accusing. It's, it's not trying to say you know, something for sure is wrong. But it's just increasing the dialogue and connection even with the family to say, like, I noticed your young person today. And something just, I don't know. Like, they said they were okay, but something just felt not quite right. And I just wanted to share that with you. And maybe there is something going on and the parent doesn't want to disclose and that's okay. But as a caring adult, being able to, to give that information to family is really what we want to see. And then if the family has questions, then how can we be that resource back to them? Or, or that's even a way to let family know that they don't have to face whatever might be happening alone either. Um, I know a lot of this centers on conversation and I think, um, you know, just talking one-on-one with individuals, with um, students and teachers having a relationship, students with other students, et cetera. But how else are you reaching students and families? Is there any resource, like a concrete kind of thing that the school district is doing? Or is it really just being inside the buildings and watching out for these signs and and looking at, at how the kids are responding to this new school year? Because the reality is, is... It's going to be very different this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know um, we've, on our website, on our external website, we've published an entire list of just different community-based resources. I know in our school beat and different newsletters, we're, again, just trying to get information out. Because, again, if families don't feel comfortable for a variety of reasons coming to the school, we still want them to be able to access information kind of at their fingertips, right? And so being able to publish that information, I know we had a... um, we did a, it was a social media campaign. It actually wasn't ours. It wasn't the districts. It was actually um, some students of ours who were very interested working with um, ACRS, which is the Asian Counseling and Referral um, Community Organization. And they wanted to meet with us and they wanted to do a social media campaign to reach young people, high school and middle school, about mental health and about wellness. And so we partnered with them um, and they actually ran with the whole thing and created kind of little cartoons and sketches with it. But it's trying to reach you know, people at multiple points to, to provide and to share information. I know some schools do different, um, they hold parent nights where they're sharing this type of information out about, like, you know, about mental health and different like, diagnoses and community resources. We've done some uh, parent information sessions on like, suicide prevention and awareness as well. This month actually is Suicide Prevention Month as well. And so trying to really push out information um, to our community that way. But again, it's, it's only accessible as people are spending more time online. And so sometimes we know that's not, to spend more time online is not what everybody wants to do at this point in time to find information. But Erin, how important is a child's well-being to their ability to learn? Their, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. How important is mental health and well-being with our emotions and our, our mental state. How important is that to learning? I, I personally think it's critical and it's actually the foundation. Um, I know even just for me as an adult, if I have my mind focused on other things, I can't get my work done if I'm not able to kind of process all of my feelings and emotions that I'm having. And I think for our, 
our students, it's the same way. Um, you could have the best designed lesson plan, very engaging, spent all weekend on it. And if a student has something on their mind coming in from home or maybe like a relationship or anything that's happening for them, even just maybe something they saw or witnessed on TV or on their commute to school, if we don't, you know, if we don't not even address it, but if we don't like talk about it and think about it, like that's always going to be there. We're never going to be able to move to that other work of instruction in education and academics. Um, it's kind of, I think of Maslow's like hierarchy of needs, right? Like your safety needs, your very basic needs, and then you can actually access some of those higher level pieces of what we need to actually get to instruction and education. So to me, I think it's critical and it's foundational. Um, if I'm not well emotionally, like I can't do my job. You told me that you spent your career in schools. So how do you think, based on your experience, this school year is going to play out with that piece of it, right? Because the reality is that we've suffered a collective trauma going through the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic. We're wearing masks right now as we're talking to each other. Students are wearing masks in schools. Some of them have missed, like I just spoke with a group of high school students, and when they went into the building, they were freshmen. They spent a couple months as freshmen. Now they're upperclassmen, and they've missed a huge portion of their schooling, right, inside the building, what we think of as our high school experience, and there's a loss there. So how do you think that this school year is going to play out in that respect? Yeah, I mean, I think we don't... We don't know what we don't know, but I think our first, we're in our fourth week of school and we're learning as students are coming back what the needs are. And I think we could prepare and we have prepared and we definitely have been having conversations and really centering like mental health and wellness. But it's really looking at as we see students come back and what they're voicing, what they're communicating to us with behaviors, recognizing our universal responses might need to change. Right. Like we thought, especially when you think of um, upperclassmen, oh, they've been in school, like expectations, rules, they know this, they understand how things work. But what we're seeing is we've been 18 months out of practice. And so we do need to spend and take a little bit extra of that time to make sure that we're all clear on why we wear our masks, how we wear our masks, why we socially distance, like why we can't do certain things a certain way. And so I really think it's, it's really listening to, to students as they're in buildings and they're communicating a lot to us, whether it be verbally or non-verbally, about what their needs are. And we have to adjust our universal response so everybody gets, everybody gets the same information. And then again, start layering in kind of those tier two and tier three kind of responses. But it truly is just readjusting and it has to be rethinking, you know, maybe supervision, for example, right? Supervision in certain ways at lunch. Maybe it used to look a certain way. Well, we know supervision with our lunches right now looks a lot different because of all the changes we've had to make. So as we're making those changes, it's, it's getting feedback from students to say, what do we still need to continue to adjust? And I do think for us, how it'll unfold is really listening and being able to be flexible and continue to adapt to what's in front of us that day. I mentioned students coming back with a sense of loss because they lost some time with their peers and within the school buildings. But the reality is we have a lot of kids as well that are truly coming back with loss mm -hmm. of a parent, of a loved one because of this pandemic. What is a school district doing to support those families? I think first and foremost, it's really naming and acknowledging that loss. It's not hiding it. It's not pretending nothing's happened. It's, it's, it's acknowledging 
this collective and individual grief. And then from there, it's also, um, you know, it's educating even just those that work with young people, like what it could look like, what it could, you know, grief, grief can look like anger. Grief can look like frustration. Grief could look like disengagement. It could look, you know, joyous at some point because, you know, again, that's a coping strategy. And so it's really just increasing the understanding of like what we're seeing in front of us. And then again, it's how do we pull those students in closer and have the conversation and maybe they don't know what they need, but it's being there and offering suggestions. And maybe it's, it's the seventh time you've offered something. And at that point, maybe that's something that sounds for that young person, like it would be helpful. And so I think it's just, it's acknowledging and then just, it's just, it's being there. Most of our work is showing up as a caring adult. And I think there's nothing wrong with us as adults saying, I don't have the answers but I'm willing to sit with you to be here to try to figure out what could be helpful to you. And this is just a really hard time. Um, there's no quick answer. I wish there was, but there is no quick answer. You say there's no quick answer. And it makes me think of when I asked you about the work that you do and just how much it seems like you have on your plate, but you gave me an answer about how there's just so many different aspects of dealing with mental health within schools and that there's just so many people involved in it. And it sounds like the school district is trying to do a good job of um, listening to what's happening in, in different schools, right? And then to tailor your approach to certain things that might be happening. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that accurate? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's just being collecting the, those data points and really hearing what's happening and then having to adjust and pivot potentially. Again, I think I mentioned when we recognized we had 12 schools that did not have access to someone who could provide a linkage to mental health support, that was where the focus went to. And so again, as things unfold, if a student, or let's say even a building experiences a destabilizing event, it's being able to be flexible around that and what do they need given the context of maybe everything else that they've experienced recently. Um, And I think we have to be able to tailor and be flexible, but then I also think it's important to look at trends across our buildings if we're seeing, you know, with our secondary buildings, trends of, of what maybe behaviors are being communicated to us, I think it's up to us to try to figure out how do we approach this, again, from that tier one perspective, because we're seeing themes. And so it's really looking, and it's not even... Um, Can you give me an example? Yeah, so um, we might see some behaviors occurring, um, maybe like an increase in, let's say, like aggression. But it could be that that pattern we're seeing across a lot of our schools, which again, I think we just have to be curious about what could be happening. And so, sure, if we see it at this school and this school, but if we start to see five other schools, again, it's like, what is the larger like tie-in and connection to community and society that we maybe need to acknowledge and really think about? But it's, it's always being curious and never assuming that we know exactly what the answer is, because we don't. And it's just really being curious and open to say, what is this data telling us. And then I think it's also taking the human piece of it of everyone to some degree is struggling at this point. And so how are we all showing up? Um, And again, just really, again, we're all flooded with so many different things. So as we make decisions, students and, and adults alike, right? How are we making decisions and what is that impact? But again, it's what can we do collectively across our district to at least acknowledge. I think acknowledging is a huge piece of just Um, what is happening here. And how important is our mental health and our emotions to the actual 
school ecosystem and what's happening, the learning that's happening within the building, but also um, the safety of the building itself. That was something that you and I kind of chatted about before the podcast started, but about just um, our students feeling safe within the building. Yeah, I think, and again, I go back to, to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you don't have safety, you are making decisions to protect your safety, right? And, and, and no judgment. I mean, because if we're feeling a threat or something happening, I might make choices different than if I'm not feeling that threat or whatever could be you know, happening for me in a school. And so I think it, it's really making sure that we're addressing if students do feel safe or if they don't feel safe and then really questioning like what is not safe about that because that could lead to us making not great decisions, both, both students and staff alike. If I'm coming into like my workplace and, um, you know, to me, just an example, if I'm like walking in from like the parking lot and I feel like it's not a safe environment, I'm not thinking clearly. I'm not thinking and being my best self potentially at that point because I am almost in like a fight or flight mode. And so I think we have to apply that when we think about just safety within our buildings and how that impacts our choices and how that impacts our mental health, especially if it's repeated over time. We know our students who um, we've had like when we just think about um, different incidences of like hate and bias that occur, things where you know students might be feeling you know like targeted if something has happened, and again that's a sense to their safety, and in turn what choices are they doing? And again, it's just for survival. What are they doing in turn to protect themselves in that moment? So it's we say the ecosystem. It's we're all very much connected, and so how do we look at like again we're gonna you know move it out a huge layer to say how is this all impacting each other? I even think um, I had a situation the other day that someone was asking something of me and um, I didn't, I was struggling with maybe the tone or the word choice, right? And I didn't use my best de-escalation skills because I was feeling a certain way, right? And so that wasn't helpful. So I responded a certain way and then they responded, right? And those things are, I believe, can happen at a much quicker pace right now because again, we are all impacted to some degree. And so it's, again, really just going back to what is the humanity, what is the curiosity, what's happening for that person. And that's what I had to do is I had to take a step back and say what's happening for that person, that that was our interaction, right? And for me, I was flooded too because I had a list of 100 things I had to do and I didn't need 101. (laughs) And so I had responded, right? And so I think it's just, again, there's no simple answer to any of this, but I think it's just being really well aware of how what I do matters, what you do matters, and what happens, like what I do does impact other people for good and for bad. Yeah, and I ask you about safety because I think that is one of the focuses for families as their kids are returning to school is safety not only from the COVID-19 virus, but also just being back, you know, with so many people in a school building. And the reality was when children were home, parents were able to have an idea of how their lessons were being run as they were watching over their shoulders on virtual learning and how their child was doing if they were having those types of conversations with their kids. And so um, I think that's an important aspect of going back to school. I think parents want to feel reassured that, that teachers and staff are watching out for their kids, right? Yeah, I think bottom line, you want your child to be cared for like you would care for them. And I think for some families, there is not trust in the system and I think that's questionable. And so I, I know that there's families that have really thought long and hard about having their students come back to us, and I fully understand that. And I think that you're right. There was a way to at least hear or know or see. 
And it is asking almost a leap of faith to say, oh yeah, have them come back, trust that we'll care for your child. But if there's been data points in the past or other evidence in the past that suggests differently, you're probably thinking long and hard about that um, for families who have the choice or the option to find something else other than, than coming back to us. Especially, I think you'll appreciate this, in a year where we haven't been through this before, right? We have never been through this type of pandemic. And so it's very unique experience. And even the children that were in hybrid learning last year, they're feeling like it's different this year, mm -hmm. too, because now there's a lot more of their peers within the building. And so there's almost this feeling of uncertainty as the school year begins, right? Yep. Yeah, I definitely think there is uncertainty. I think, again, hybrid was this limited model from March to June that we were spaced out, everybody was six feet apart, very strict like protocols in place, which still are in place. But then now you just have more people, more humans in a building, more humans around. And I do think there's an aspect almost of how do, how do I interact with people? Like I'm rusty myself as an adult. I'm like, how do I have a conversation? And so where we were in remote, you could turn off your camera you could turn off your microphone. You could hit the leave button, right? And, and, and that, was, that was your safe coping strategy for you in that moment. But here, we're in classrooms with students. Those aren't, we can't choose that right now. And so it's having to kind of go back and access skills that we haven't really had to recall for, for a long time. And so, again, how do we, even as a school district, like how are we focusing on our social-emotional learning? How are we doing that in advisory? How are we going back to some of our basics of how are we communicating frustration? How are we communicating, again, joy with somebody else? How do we solve a problem when we had these other ways to problem solve in the past that don't apply when we're back in person? And so it's almost like relearning. And it's also being kind with ourselves that it is going to take some time. And I am going to need some help and some reminders when I'm like invading someone's personal space because I haven't been around you in 18 months, right? Um, but it's like just recognizing that we're all there and we all need help in kind of accessing those skills again and maybe learning new ones. And um, I want to also acknowledge the flip side of that. Some children had a difficult time being at home for so long, um, whether that's family dynamics or whether it was just the learning process of being on a computer. Maybe they didn't even have access or the same access some of their peers might have had during the pandemic. So it can be also a sigh of relief mm -hmm. for some students to go back and have that support and have that touch point that you were mentioning when we first started talking, having a trusted adult that they can speak with. And um, is that something that you're, you're watching for as well, you and I say and your entire team, that there's people and students that are going to be in different places and they're going to react very differently to coming back into the building. Yeah, I even think even with excitement of coming back and having, I love being around like other people at work, but it was still a little bit of anxiety producing and still like, again, how do we do this? How do we maneuver back into like our relationships? And I think that that's one of the things when we do a lot of our, our grief and crisis work in the district, it's everyone's going to have a different experience and all of those experiences are valid. And so even in times where we've responded where there has been this immense amount of grief, if someone's not maybe displaying that way in a way that we you know, find acceptable, like sometimes that creates problems or just conflict, right? But it's being able to say like, some, like we're all in different places, we all have different needs and that's okay because we're all on, on different 
I don't want to say different journeys, but different ways in which we're re-engaging in this and we're making meaning and making sense of it as well. And it's all okay. And we might each need a different thing or be impacted two months from now. The impact might be greater to me than it is right now as I get further along. I'm glad that you're saying that because I think that for me, what I see is sometimes I have a delayed reaction with certain things and certain stressors in my life. And we talked a little bit about more of the high school and middle school kids that can kind of process what's happening in the pandemic a little bit more easily than younger children. But the younger kids, too, are going to be now going through the Seattle public school system or whatever school district that they might be in. And maybe a few years down the line is when we'll see some of their mental health issues manifest themselves. Does the Seattle public schools um, school district have a long-term plan in the sense of perhaps having classes or training? I wish some of the things that we're talking about right now, you and I this afternoon, were things that I was able to talk about when I was younger and when I was in school. And, you know, I focused a lot on my academics, but wouldn't it be nice if there was a class that could teach us how to deal and how to form meaningful relationships and how to deal with the stressful times? Because even for me going through the pandemic, I noticed while there are some skill sets that I could work on that can help me handle these really difficult moments that we didn't expect, right? None of us saw this pandemic coming. Yeah, I think our social emotional learning team that we work with, they're also um, a part of the department that I'm part of. That has been a critical focus for the past. It, it It was present before COVID, but definitely since COVID. And that is the idea is how are we making sure that we have social emotional learning tools and curriculum available so all of our students have access to this. Because again, these are, these are, these are actually, they're not even social emotional skills, they're life skills, right? These are just life skills that all of us can benefit from either learning again, learning in a deeper way, or learning for the first time. And so from K-12, that is, that's been the goal. And I know this year that they, and I don't have all the details on it, but they have created like lesson plans. All schools have access. There's a way that they're trying to build in um, through advisory lessons for our secondaries that all schools are getting this touch point of these social emotional life skills um, that we all need. And so that should be long-term because we just keep building on them. And I think of students who are, who are in kindergarten right now, they have the benefit of 12, you know, 12, 13 years where if we're just starting maybe with secondaries or let's say we've done it for three or four years, but really to be this comprehensive, it is, a, it is a content area. It absolutely is a very critical content area. And so that, to my knowledge, that's been kind of the discussion of how do we just continue to build this into part of our academic day and this becomes just part of learning. Is there anything that you want to share that I haven't asked you that you think would be relevant, especially for families that are listening that want to know what kinds of services are, are out there or anything I just haven't asked you that you want to mention? No, I think the most important thing is, for me and just being, this is my, I just started my 20th, 20th school year in education. And I really feel that like the very specific focus in, like, on mental health and wellness is something that is at front and center right now where even five years ago, it wasn't as front and center. And I think we were moving towards that as a district. I think the pandemic accelerated us to get here. But I feel that this is a part of every conversation I'm having. If it's, again, a school leader that's calling to problem solve something, if it's with a family that calls in on a discipline appeal, like at the heart of it ends up being like, what's happening for this person and what's going on? And even, again, just that curiosity of, even when I interact with adults and 
I just feel that that message has been very clear that that is what is important. And I haven't felt that to the, to the extent of it is right now. And so for parents and for families, just to like, it is front and center and it is something that has been um, a priority that's been made. And we've been allowed a lot of the ability to put programs into place and to run with things to help support mental health and wellness for the district. And it just, like I said, it's going to be an odd choice of words, but it feels like an exciting time that we actually are here and can really focus on this to make sure our students have everything that they need holistically, and then we move into the education piece of it. Can we say it's a silver lining? It, I would say it is a silver lining, and I hope we don't ever go back. I hope this is where we continue to be and recognize. if I, In my former, where I worked in a different district, it's, we always said, like if we don't address this, it comes out in all these different ways. And so using suspensions, using like disengagement and attendance, like those are all symptoms of something that we're not addressing. And so truly like to be able to really focus on it will hopefully change our other outcomes and other areas of those different data and metric points that um, have not been great for the district. Erin, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. You're welcome. Our thanks again to Erin Romanik, Seattle Public Schools Student Support Services Supervisor. For more information on Seattle Public Schools and more specifically some mental health services the district provides, I've added those links in our show notes. You've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast, and I'm your host, Jessica Janner Castro. As you probably know, I'm a news anchor for King 5 News, but my goal with these podcasts is to really understand how our minds influence current events and vice versa, so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes, and please share with your friends and family. I'll see you next time. Bye.